This is the Women Your Mother Warned You About podcast, sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Director of Coaching Programs at Sales Gravy. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want you to go and check out Sales Gravy University. Sales Gravy University is the place where sales professionals and sales leaders from across the globe go to learn and upscale. And right now, if you're a brand new user and you've never used Sales Gravy University before, you can get your first course for free by using coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. And hey, I've got several courses there that you can check out. So I hope to see you there. But let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode. So a great question that you would ask Jeb would be, hey, Jeb, what's happened in the past to cause me to think that? Yeah. As we do with our prospects. I love this. So why why is that a really good question? Why is that a good question? Because it shows that we're trying to understand before we try and influence the other way. It's like a ledge. Trying to understand his motivation. Seek first to understand, then be understood. Okay, so they're great cliches. So what you're doing there is Jeb is now going to tell you a story. (laughs) And so Jeb is doing the heavy lifting. You're not. I'm going to. I'm going to try this on Jeb. <laughs> I'm going to be fired after this this episode. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't even come across this scenario, but some people might have done, and it will be useful. <laughs> Go on, Bernadette. If we get fired, will you hire us? <laughs> So, so, yeah, so welcome to America, Bernadette. Thank you. This is Thank so you. exciting. Um, I'm going to start this show rogue. Welcome, everybody, to the Women Your Mother Warned You About, sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, one of your co-hosts for this show and also a master trainer for Sales Gravy. Alongside me is Susanna Gray-Jones, your other co-host on the show on the other side of the pond and a year ago or so we had our lovely guest bernadette mcclelland you know i i do so bad at pronouncing things you know this bernadette as i butchered things last year with you on the show Uh, but welcome back and welcome to america thank you thank you thank you so rapt to be here and so um so fortunate to be able to be a resident of the USA. And where where are you located now in the US? Yeah, we're in Colorado. So we're uh, in the mountains and uh, not far from the CBD. So yeah, so, right. <laughs> so yeah. so nice, so awesome. So um okay, we have a lot to talk about. Uh, uh one highlight for sure is outbound because you are coming you are coming to outbound in person. I certainly am on yeah. How are we going to do this now? Last year, you were supposed to be the Oprah of Down Under, and I was supposed to be the Oprah of over here. Are we going to have a battle of the Oprahs? Oh, look, I reckon we're going to have to do something. I mean, seriously, we're going to have to do something. But I mean, last year, we, we live streamed, remember? Yeah. We live streamed from Australia, Down Under. Um, and that was super, super fun with the guys over there. Uh, but yeah, this year, I cannot wait. 2019, I was there and um, in in Georgia, and I I spoke 
And I cannot wait this time around because um, I'm going to be hanging out with you. You weren't there in 2019. No, no, no. How can you believe that, hey? Gina wasn't there. She wasn't at Sam's Gravy. She's now (laughs) Sam's Gravy Queen. I know. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Have you guys met in person? Have you met in person? No, not at all. No. Wonderful. But it feels united. Oprah's united. Oprah's united. Yeah. Well, whatever we do at Outbound, because, you know, us us uh, women, your mother warned you about, will be live streaming from Outbound. So we hope that you can participate with us and we could we could have some super fun with you doing kind of a battle of the Oprah's. We will <laughs> definitely have super fun. OK, cool. Well, OK, so my first question uh, and for the listeners that did not listen to our episode with Bernadette last year. Um, last year, Bernadette did not live in Colorado and now she does. What inspired that move? It's, it was a pretty big move. Um, ten, for 10 years now, I've been coming over to the States for Melbourne and um, hanging out with, uh, with the sales kind of field, the guys, the girls, speaking while I'm over here. And uh, then it was, what, late 2018, we came back to Australia and my husband and I said, I don't want to take to live there. But of course, you know, to live over here, you need a green card. And, uh, and the, there's four ways to get a green card. You want to put a ton of money on the table. You uh, go into the lottery. You uh, get sponsored in or you marry somebody. And all four of those options were not viable. Wait there a second. <laughs> Your husband was not going for you getting mm-hmm. married. No, 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 not okay. at all. He wasn't up to <laughs> divorce. No. That would have been easier. <laughs> there was one Rouge that we took, which was a um a kind of geez, not many people get it. Um, the Pulitzer Prize winners do, and the Nobel Peace Prizes do, and Melania Trump did, and uh, and I applied for an Alien of Exceptional Ability, which is an immediate green card for my both myself and my husband, and immigration immigration accepted it when I was actually sitting at Outbound in 2019. I got the acceptance then and shared that with my breakout room. But then because of um, the immigration kind of shut down and uh, COVID, Ah. it was all put on hold until last November, late November, uh, immigration said your appointments in two weeks uh, at the US consulate in Melbourne, Australia. And four weeks later, our passports were returned with green cards. Oh, so cool. Okay. I want to know what this alien of what? Of special ability. Exceptional ability in your field, in my field of self-leadership. And, uh, and I ticked nine out of 12 boxes and you only need three to be approved by immigration. That is amazing. It was amazing. Like, seriously, it's just, it was like Willy Wonka. Remember <laughs> Willy Wonka and the chicken yes. and That's how we felt. Yeah, I just want to be of exceptional ability. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of like the sound of alien too. Alien of exceptional ability. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, so not alien, it. not so much alien. Alien, when we think of alien, we think of like supernatural. I guess alien comes from Latin, other, so other. We think of it as yeah, other yeah, instead yeah. of you being an alien. <laughs> nice. No, I but, just don't, you know, but anyway. <laughs> I'm very envious. I want I want that. So I need to work yeah. to getting that so I can get that super green well, card. I think maybe if you're nice to Bernadette, maybe, maybe she'll consult with you yeah well i did but here's the thing we had then had only a couple of months to just to do something so we we sold everything we sold everything and we rented our house out but we sold everything 
And we came over here with six suitcases, two wheelies, and two backpacks. That's it. I love it. It's very gutsy, isn't it? That's one word that we talk about, don't we, when we speak about you. You're very gutsy. I, I heard that quite a few times in, in the other episode. And as Tony <laughs> Robbins says on your website, a superstar. So well, that was, yes, that was a gutsy move too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so excited to meet you. So excited to meet you. What are you going to be speaking about? So three categories, um, ladies. So the first one is um, the virtual. And that I've just sent that, um, that recording off last week. Uh, that's around conscious selling and the art of commercial conversations. So that's pretty much based on nine key conversations, kind of drilled into three of them. Um, I'm going to be, um, doing, working with the leaders in the sales and leadership category and on the, the sales leadership stage. And that will be around transformational sales leadership and, um, you know, how we can create change and how you can kind of move up. Um, move, your sales leadership basically is, is all about transformation. You know, it's ultimately about transformation and, um, you know, moving from that, uh, micromanager kind of status. And then the, uh, main stage is around story. What's your story? And, um, and and kind of bringing my own flavor to that. They nice. should have a you and I should have a session together on story because yeah. we've talked about this. Yeah. We, yeah, we both have a background in improv and story. Yeah, yeah, totally. We should. We should. Um, I spoke with Victor Antonio. I did a, an interview with Victor a couple of weeks ago. Um, we just. God, we just riffed out like it was just unbelievable. Um, just going deep and, and just, yeah, sharing different, you know, thought leadership um, around story. And it was just really, really cool. He's such a lovely man. I love him. He's like the kindest, gentlest guy. Yeah, I didn't really. I've never spoken to him. So I can't wait to hang out with him at Outbound. I'd like to dive into, I'm sure Susanna has got a ton of questions. And I've had and I've had a lot of time with you in the past, but I would like to dive into leadership because I I'm coaching more and more sales leaders of teams. And it's interesting the trends that I see. I would be curious to hear some of your thoughts on how do we transform these leaders? Because, you know, I think a lot of these leaders are micromanagers because they've been given zero leadership training. Um, uh, yes, I agree with that. A lot of them, um, have just come up through the ranks and just come straight off the sales floor. Um, and, and they're kind of like viewing their team as though they were still, A, they were still one of the boys or one mm -hmm. of the, the team. Mm -hmm. They're still kind of living in, in what they're picking up from gurus from the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and, and fear, I think, drives a lot because numbers aren't being made. Mm. Definitely fear. Definitely fear. I, I see that so, so much. But also we speak about a lot when salespeople are over-promoted and sometimes they don't understand. They might be exceptional salespeople who is come very naturally to. They don't understand why others don't get it the same way that they do so that they try and sort of force the process and they don't take a step back. Um, 
That's one thing I found. I don't know whether that's something that you you come across a lot. Well, you know, I'm a really big believer in coaching. Like, oh, I'm a really, I mean, clearly, um, you know, I've got all the pieces of paper necessary to prove coaching, whatever, that nobody's ever asked me to look at. (laughs) Um, You know, so that's all kind of there. And, And one thing, there's a big difference between deal coaching and coaching. And, you know, I, I think in my background in corporate Australia, um, you know, very heavily in companies like Xerox and Kodak and Computer Associates, so very high-level sales environments, the coaching or our reviews were very much around deals and it was very much around where you're up to and all the rest of it. I think what's missing is the ability for a leader to actually be able to tap into, and here we go, uh, the story behind the story and um you know we we will all give our um reasons or excuses depending um but i think a a, a lot of cases salespeople are too i don't know whether it's ego or fear or what it is to be vulnerable to be able to say to their leaders hey i'm really stuck here because the expectations are you're a professional and you should know what to do so I think that's lacking from the same people to actually be able to say, this is where I'm at, and to trust that the leader has their best interest at heart. If you've got a micromanager, um, why would you do that? Why would you share where you're at? Um, you know, so we talk about a micromanager, which is, you know, is very much command and control. Um, you know, I've, I've kind of got five levels to my sales leadership model and it's, you know, micromanager is at the bottom, very totalitarian, very command and control and, and your results, you're not going to get the most out of your salespeople. Then you've got your, your manager who means well, he's just a glorified, she's just a glorified seller, you know, um, and it's very traditional and that's, you know, telling and selling. Um, you've then got the deal maker who's transactional, we're just going to get this deal, we're going to manage my scoreboard. Um, and as you go up, you know, you get the needle mover and you start to look at this sales leader that's starting to transition and, and introduce values and introduce what's really important um, until you get to the, the sales leader who's co- courageous and, and is able to build other leaders. So it's not just about managing a team of sellers, it's actually building a team of, of leaders. And it's kind of where I think that, you know, sales leadership, in a, most, a lot of cases are there, but there are naturally the ones that aren't. I love the word, I love the word courageous. Yeah. So Def, define courageous. How do you see courageous? So, first of all, why do you love it? I think it's an, why do I love, I don't think a lot of leaders will understand what courageous means to be a courageous leader. Uh-huh. That's why I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so courage comes from the Latin word heart to start with. Um, you know, if you've done French, liqueur, you know, so it's kind of all uh, tied in with, with, I guess, high levels of self-awareness, um, empathy, while still be- being outcome focused. So I think that's, you know, I think, um, you know, we hear the term servant leadership. Mm-hmm. And you got to be really careful with that phrase that it, it that it's 
also not perceived as kind of being subservient. So you've still got to be able to be outcome focused um, and, and consciously, I think, push your own boundaries while encouraging the team to be able to kind of expand their potential as well. And I think this is where um, when I talk about, you know, courageous, being courageous, um, it's kind of understanding that if you want your team or you want your business to grow, then ultimately you need to look at an you need to look at a few different models of um, leaders that have gone before us. Mm-hmm. So have you guys, I mean, I'm sure that you you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy. hierarchy yeah. mm-hmm. Such um, geeks, but like, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> Claire Graves' spiral dynamics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Graves. Um, Tony Robbins' six core needs. Mm-hmm. And then there's um, tribal leadership by Logan King and Wrights. They're all growth models and they're all based on an aspirational journey. And so when I talk about the courageous, it really is the ability for a leader to be able to springboard and springboard and springboard to that next to that next level or that last level where they're they're really okay. And we all dip in and out of all the levels, but they're really okay with with I don't know, it's kind of like having this um ability to be able to really be present to their people and put their own ego to the side. Mm-hmm. I love it. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> um, I had a situation the other day. I had a, a candidate who just said, I want to leave because there's such a negative atmosphere at this new company that I'm working in. It's just awful, Susanna. So I thought, you know, the right thing to do would be to speak to the sales manager and say, you know, in a kind way, this is the feedback I had. Now said sales manager then went and brought the team into a meeting and said, I've heard that people are feeling very negative in this team. From now on, when I walk in, I want to see smiles and only smiles. What do you think happened? The opposite. And it's like so many people, she thought she was being courageous and she, she thought she got that, but she did not seek to understand. She went too far down the courageous route. But you can't tell people how to feel. And I think a lot of sales managers, they do the courage bit, but then they miss out on the care and the understanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, there's this evolution, you know, um, and, and we look at, if we take, I know there's five levels in my model, but if we take it, you know, the, the transactional leader and the, or the transactional manager and the transformational leader, because mm. I think, you know, there, there's a difference yeah. between management and leadership. You know, you've still got that, that person out there that control equals power. Lady Macbeth. <laughs> I failed, Shakespeare. <laughs> Lady Macbeth syndrome. Power makes them go mad. All right. I'll have to look that one up. Now we're kind of like ideas equal power. We're kind of in that space where if you can sit with your team as a leader and be able to say, hey, listen, let's kind of um, open the kimono. Let's kind of throw some ideas on the table um, and be really collaborative with your team as the leader. You're going to be viewed so differently. Um, People are going to feel safe. And that's all about being visionary and inclusive. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. Purpose, does purpose come into play these days? I think so, as opposed to task. You know, task focused versus purpose focused. Um, 
and I think where that courageous comes out, Gina, is also, um, you know, some leaders or some managers are still very measured in what they do. Um, you know, if I say this, then how will that make me look? Um, I'm, I'm just going to keep plowing through and expect this of you. Does this all make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it does. I think it's a good, good conversation to have because we know that so many people, it is probably around 70, 75%, I think is the statistic of people who will quit a manager versus a company, right? Cause the, and, and how, how do we improve that? I mean, it continues to go on. Um, I don't, I think a big part of it is the lack of emotional intelligence. I think to your point, there's a lot of ego involved and then you lose talent and then you start all over again to bring them in and you could hire Susanna to do that. And she can make some good money to, to find people to replace. Uh, but there's such a, I think cost to the bottom line when you're not emotionally intelligent. Yeah. And you know, the, the Peter principle, Mm -hmm. um, Peter Principle, mm-hmm. I, I get two of them, I get mixed up. Where, you know, when you get promoted, uh, everybody who's been promoted in, an ind- in, in in a company has only been promoted up to the level of incompetence mm-hmm. because you've never done that job before. So yeah. you've got leaders that are totally incompetent and it's only because they've never done sales leadership before. Right. And so what's missing is how do we get the, that incompetence how do we make them competent? And then, you know, then they'll go up again, maybe to the next level, and they're incompetent at that level. Mm. So, you know, you could, you've only got, and if you look at salespeople, predominantly salespeople will not invest in themselves. Mm. Most sales, most salespeople will not put their hand in their pocket to buy a sales book. Correct. You know, so uh, these guys and girls are being promoted to sales leadership. And are they walking their talk? Are they expecting their salespeople to go out and, you know, continue to self-develop or not? So there's a whole rug. You need to be able to have the honest conversations with people. And I think feedback as well, something we talk about a lot. I, I gosh, I sound like I'm bigging myself up yet. I'm my worst critic, but one thing I think I did very well, I was a very, very junior manager and made a lot of mistakes. I've micromanaged, but I took feedback from my staff unfavorable yeah. feedback that I thought meant I had to quit my job. But the minute that they saw me take it and go with it, the respect just went up a notch. Um, and I see so many managers out there, managed managers who just will not accept the feedback. I am now up here and they're down here. You know, they see it in the wrong way from the beginning. It's like you say, the way it starts up. Yeah. And, and that, that whole 360 feedback, it's scary. Like, it's really scary because you're getting it from everywhere. Yeah. I remember when, um, I was in sales and it was um, it just be, oh, look, it was it was the 80s and customer, um, what was it called? Customer delight. Like, we were really going down that route of customer delight at Xerox was. And so I remember one of my best accounts, they got the feedback form. And, and back then, the way that Xerox did it, they actually put the name of the technician, the name of the credit officer, the name of the salesperson. So it was extremely targeted to the individual. Yeah. And so I remember getting this feedback form back from this university and I scored really low in value. And I'm like, oh, I was, I was, I was seeing them regularly. I was 
really, you know, I was looking after them. I didn't understand it. And what it was, it was simply, and we hear about it now, I was not bringing any fresh insights to the table. So I was going in and saying, how are you going? Here's your coffee. Here's a donut. And so that my, my back then, way back then, my, that was my um, perception of, of getting value. So for me to take that feedback, I was dumbfounded. <laughs> but I took it on board and I learned from it. And, you know, I think if, as a, from a leadership perspective, if you can get your, your team, you know, your, your clients, your managers, your, uh, your subordinates, whoever it may be, and you're brave enough and co- courageous enough to be able to put it out there and take that feedback on board. There is always a learning, always. All right, Susanna, you can give me feedback after the podcast. <laughs> well, actually, I was just thinking. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say anything. To me. I was thinking about um, Gina and I have done some co-coaching in the past and we had a very junior sales manager and Gina, I remember she had a light bulb moment and when Gina said to her, you have to understand now, you were never going to get favorable feedback all the time as a manager. And a light bulb, mm. told, you know, we think that's quite obvious, but to many sales managers, they feel they have to be perfect from day one. They're not ready. They're not resilient enough to get that feedback. And, but Bernadette, I've got one question for you. How do you have, what would you say to a new sales manager who maybe doesn't want to go down the feedback route or is scared of it? How can they come comfortable with it? How? You've got any great advice? Question. But it's a decision. I, I think it's as simple as a decision. Uh, you know, if if you're looking at a leadership role, a leadership role is all about growth, and and it's about your growth. It's also about you helping the team grow. And so, I think it's as simple as it. it you've got a choice. You either you wrap up. The fact that feedback is a massive, massive um, resource that you can tap into that costs nothing. You know, you, you don't have to go to a leadership course and pay thousands of dollars for a leadership course. You can simply ask people for their take on, on your leadership. And I think the other thing that I would say is that there is no right and there is no wrong. And so, we all come to the table with different belief systems, mm-hmm. different conditionings. We're all growing up in different environments. We've had different experiences in our sales role. And so the people that you're going to be asking for feedback are all coming to the table with their experiences and their feedback based on their life. And everyone's going to be different. And that's why we can't say, oh, my God, they're right and I'm wrong. That's why you've got to look at it. And, and you know, I say, I say to people, tap, look at feedback as though it was a loaf of bread. Like, it's just a loaf of bread. Lose the attachment to the feedback, but maintain the intention. Mm. And so it's up to you, your gut feel your intuition will zone in on the feedback that deep down inside, you know where mm. you need to look on. Yeah. Your own intuition will yeah. tell you that. A- Amen. And I think going back to what you said about so many won't, like salespeople won't necessarily invest in themselves. 
right? I know that I see a lot of this with the leaders that I coach. You know, the leaders that I coach are high performers. They they decide to invest in coaching because they want to be better leaders because they've been promoted into the role. So they will seek that out and they will pay for it out of their pocket. But if you can't pay for it out of your pocket, for those those listening at home who are like, what do I do? I really don't have the money to spend on that. Maybe I can buy a book. Uh, maybe I can get feedback um, from the people that I manage. Um, if you can't do any of those things, you could go ask other leaders for advice or mentorship or guidance. I think that's, I mean, that's what's been most beneficial to me coming up as a leader throughout my career and not just in sales leadership, but general leadership is getting feedback from other leaders that I admire and, and having them coach me on what to do. And I think there's also a frustration level. Sometimes you're in a role where you're a leader and you've got leaders above you, but the leaders above you don't give you the best feedback, don't give you any coaching or leadership. And it could be super frustrating going, well, why should I do it? Why should I be a good leader if my leader is not a good leader? Well, you kind of have to change the wave of what's going on. But I think that's another kind of contagion that happens that they start to model bad leadership, but you have control to go become a better leader. I, I had a leader who was promoted over me and I was supposed to be next in line for the promotion and he got the promotion and I was angry, so angry about it, but there's nothing I could do about it, but to accept the scenario. And you want to talk about I think he thought he was being courageous, just kind of like what Susanna said, like if they think they're being courageous, like he called me and said, I hope you're not mad at me that I'm your boss now. And it was the most bizarre way to start a conversation as a leader. But I think that goes back to what you say about incompetence. Like he didn't even know what to do yeah. or what to say or how to be. Of course, I was a little, I was nice and snarky at the same time, shocker. And I just said, I'm so happy for you. Congratulations on the promotion. That's awesome. I wish I would have known that there was an opportunity to apply for the promotion. <laughs> maybe you can, maybe, maybe you can come with some ideas. <laughs> Welcome to your new leadership role, buddy. You know, and I think, um, you know, it, it it doesn't take long for people's true colours to show. And, and I think that it's my my husband, you know, we've, we've just left the country naturally and he he, had, he was working for a company, he was a sales leader and uh, it was all remote because of COVID. And unfortunately, it was a toxic environment. But his leader, his direct leader, because the other team members had been there for so long, they were part of the, the family. And I think this is another, another thing that happens is that we talk about turnover. And, and sometimes the, the people have just been there for so long. They're part of the furniture. They're part of the kind of family vibe. And how, how can senior leadership move these other sales leaders on? We can't do that because they've been here for so long. So we talk about a revolving door. Mm -hmm with people kind of moving through the door too quickly. But there's also 
a, a point in time where you have to actually move people through the door for the yeah. growth yeah. of the and and that courage at the top of the that tree is, that is that right there is courage. Mm. Totally, yeah, totally. People often talk, don't they, about managing upwards, um, manage your manager. There's that whole kind of saying. What do you think that means? I know that's a massive question and we haven't got enough time to go into it too deeply. But one thing that I am often telling people, I know what I think, but I'm keen to know what, what advice would you give to people who maybe have a boss who they don't necessarily agree with and they want to influence them in a positive way without sounding like a whinger? Good question. Really good question. So that kind of dovetails into um, the skill of being able to tell a story, a, a story, because we can, you know, for you to go to your boss, so let's just say that, you know, we have a, a manager who, you know, is not competent or it, there's politics involved and see that once again, politics and I'm not a, I'm not a game player. I, I'm like shoot myself in the foot all the time because I, I can't play the political game, nor do I want to. Um, and so I think if you are in that situation and and this can, this can roll across to a client as well, you know, this can also spin off and you could be with a, with a client or a prospect because this is all about change. This is all about selling change and what you're trying to do inside your organization with you and your leader is you are somehow wanting to influence them to change. Now you can't do that by a push strategy. Mm. You cannot do that by telling them or by, you know, b- b- persuading or pushing or convincing. Because you know what it's like? If we're told that we have to do something, what happens? The wall goes up and we completely resist. You know, so how we, you know, what we need to learn to do there, I mean, that's the same. It's basically an objection, isn't it? Yeah. Kind of similar to overcoming an objection. So, you know, what we need to do there is we need to be able to um, share or bring a story into it, frame it in such a way, bring in the relevance where that person is able to see themselves in that scenario that you're talking about. And then that will enable them to begin to shift their thinking because what you are trying to do is shift a belief. And so this is why coaching comes in. In such, and coaching is all about asking questions, yeah, and getting giving people to come up with their own answers. Whereas mentoring is telling them what to do and what you do, yeah. But yeah. to create change and to create a shift, you've got to interrupt somebody's pattern of thought, and um, and 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 that can only kind of happen through really really good questioning. I'm just trying to think of a scenario in my head. So, say for example. Jeb would never say this to me, but say Jeb said to me whilst I was training, Susanna, I want you to change the way that you train completely. I want you to do it exactly this way that I completely didn't agree with. And I knew that wouldn't have the best intention for my learners. This hasn't happened, but if it did, I suppose you said, go away from the persuasion, go away from the trying to convince. And it's more that influencing the change. So and putting them into your position. So I could say maybe something like, oh, feedback that I've had is that people like this and this completely understand what you're saying. Based on that, how would you recommend that I 
do that. <laughs> I just want you to, let's role play. I just want you to do what I've always told you to do. Oh, okay. Thank you. I, I completely accept that you want me to do what you've always told me to do. I was just very curious about that request based on some feedback that I've had. They particularly liked um, an element that I went in, which was your direction um, only six months ago. And I got such great feedback from that based on your suggestion. So based on your original suggestion, how can I bring that in with your new suggestion? Try one, two, and three. One, two, and three. So can you see what's happening? So can you, can, are you feeling something at the moment? Are you feeling a little bit of uh, kind of like, um, oh shit, I'm, I'm scrambling here? Yeah, it's, I'm it's, feeling scrambling. And I can, see it, I can see it on your face. So what I'm seeing is a shame on your face now. So these are the things kind of, I, yeah, yeah, because it's the, it's probably the light, but there's also a little <laughs> bit of flash. So it's quite simply, and this is what we do. Yeah. This is exactly what we do. Um, and I'll be sharing some of this on the main stage at Exciting. Outland as well, because I know I kind of bring it in with salespeople's objections as well. Yeah. yeah. That is what we do. A couple of things will happen. We will either kind of pedal back and, and kind of like, um, try to, to throw in some justification or some data or some proof or, you know, that worked last time, that whatever, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that is someone like Jeb, he's just going to cut straight to the chase. Yeah. He's just, he's just going to call it for what it is. Um, there may be another scenario where you push back on Jeb and he's just absolutely call it as it is. <laughs> so... Pending back and pushing back, um, you know, one is flight, the other is fight. Yeah. And neither of those are going to work. Yeah. And with you talking leadership, neither of those are going to work. So a great question that you would ask Jeb would be, hey, Jeb, what's happened in the past to cause you to think that? Yeah. As we Ooh. do with our prospects. I love this. So why, why is that a really good question? Why is that a good question? Because it shows that we're trying to understand before we try and influence the other way. It's like a ledge. Trying to understand his motivation. Seek first to understand, then be understood. Okay, so they're great cliches. So what you're doing there is Jeb is now going to tell you a story. Mm -hmm. He's going to tell you his story. And so Jeb is doing the heavy lifting. You're not. I'm going I'm to try this on Jeb. So you're now. <laughs> I'm going to be fired after this, this episode. <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't even come across this scenario, but some people might have done and it will be useful. <laughs> Go on, Bernadette. If we get fired, will you hire us? <laughs> um, so there you go. So it, it comes back and, you know, you'll, you'll hear my, my story solo model at Outbound, but it's very much the stories that you tell yourselves about your buyer are the internal stories. So you've got to start becoming a story catcher. It's the stories that you tell your buyer, which are external stories. And that's where you become a storyteller. And what we've just gone through now is the third component, which is the essential stories, which are the stories you've got to elicit from your buyer. Mm -hmm. And this is where you become a story seeker. And so that is I love that. the area that is so often missed by salespeople because you go down your own little rabbit hole mm -hmm. and you put your own interpretation on what you believe Jeb has said. Mm. 
we tell our own Next stories. Day. Instead, we get him to tell us a story instead of in initiating the story internally. It's curiosity. And so as salespeople and sales leaders, so if we circle back to being a sales leader here, your role as a coach in the true sense of the word coach is to also be courageous enough to shut up and to ask those questions to really elicit the stories from your salespeople, the stories that matter to them. I was just going to ask if you have, I think you've answered it for me, but what are, how do I put this, ways to ask a question in coaching that does not put the other person in a mode of feeling like they're being judged, um, feeling like they're incompetent. Does this make sense? Because sometimes leaders can be in a coaching mode of asking those questions with the intention the right intention, but it comes off as um, either an interrogation yeah. or 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 the sense of feeling like you're an idiot and you don't know what the answers are. Yeah, great question and a really important question. So I'm just gonna once again I'm gonna do this by example. Oh, Gina, <laughs> Gina interval play this time. Gina's turn. Sorry. Gina's turn. So um, Gina, yes. <laughs> I'm really curious. Why did you wear that color uh, with your hair color? Why did you wear that color? Talk. Because it's my favorite color. Right. So what I've just done there, <laughs> um, I've asked Gina what I think is a perfectly logical question at the best intention. I was really curious. But Gina went into justification mode. Gina felt that she had to defend herself a little bit. As to the- 100%. I'm like, I was trying to figure out what the right answer was. Okay. I was like, is it, be- what's the right answer here? Correct. I mean, it is my favorite color, but the real answer is, oh, I found it in my closet yes. and I didn't realize I had it after my move and I organized my clothes by color. I mean, all these things were going on in my head. I'm like, yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, I don't remember having this one. I love that color. I think I'll wear it today. But I was like, I don't know how I should answer the question. There you go. So imagine you're a sales leader and you say, hey, Gina, why haven't you made your numbers this week? Mm. So I want, you know, your listeners, I want everybody to realize that the the question why, and you're hearing lean, you know, go go why five times deep. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Why that, why that, Mm. why that? Got to be really careful with the question why. Really, really, really careful with that question because it is a question that makes somebody, the listener, immediately mm. think of, oh my God, what have I got to say here? The right answer. I'm justifying now. I feel like I'm defending what I've just done. And then from a sales leadership perspective, you want your people to be ultra 100% transparent with you. You got to give them the platform that makes them feel safe. Exactly. So a better question would be a question beginning with what? Mm. So, you know, let's take that example again. Gina, what was it that made you wear that color today? Um, I just moved into a new house and I found, um, I found this one in my closet and forgot that I had it. Different. It's a different feel. Yeah. So, you know, with the numbers. Yeah. Okay, Gina, like, what is it about reaching your numbers this month that's been difficult? 
Uh, because I'm moving into a new house. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, so that that is such a, that, if, seriously, that is like the my takeaway from this episode of the importance of the what versus why. Yes, yeah. and do you know what? I have in, in coaching books read about avoiding the why, but I learned by doing, and just doing that there, <laughs> um, it actually sunk in a lot more than, the reflective reading. So that that's really interesting. Mm. Yeah. I think I, I, I think I like got so much out of the, that and uh, there was something else, but this one just over, Oh, those being a story catcher. I know we talked about story last time, uh, but maybe I'm seeing it a little bit differently this time. Yeah. I've really gone down the story selling path. Um, I'm, you know, it's, it's story selling is not just storytelling. And so I think when we talk about story, people think it's you, our minds immediately go to storytelling and telling stories. Um, but story selling um, is so much more than that. It's the internal, the external, and the essential. And it's this whole story catching, storytelling, story seeking. Um, and that's the model that I'm kind of really I'm going to be bringing to to you know the stage at Outbound. You know, I'm I'm teaching Selling with Story this week at Sales Gravy University live um, at, at to our workshop. And I'm going to mention you and say that they have to come to Outbound so they can see another version of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I'm um, going to use you to sell tickets. I'm, but look, use me, but just don't <laughs> abuse me. <laughs> No, not at all. Not at all. I know we're close to the end here and I'm sure Susanna has. um, She's always got a great end of the show question. I do. I do. So Bernadette, we at the end, you know, Truth or Dare that used to play. I don't know if you played it, but I used to play Truth or Dare um, in, in my teenage years. Oh, geez, I've got to go, guys. <laughs> <laughs> She's a good actress. She's used to doing the role play. Um, but this one is going to be sales truth or sales quiz. Which one are you going to choose? Oh, I just toss a coin. I'm open for anything. Oh, you have to choose. Gina, you've got to choose for her if she doesn't choose. Okay, what's the choice? It's truth you, know, or what? you know this. Sales truth. I've got sales truth. Sales truth. Ooh. Sales truth. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're going to dig deep. Okay. I'm going to tell, I'm going to ask you who has been your biggest sales crush? Biggest sales crush. Oh, can that be anybody? I can be anybody. <laughs> it can be anybody for any reason. Who else would have been better than it's biggest sales crash. Oh man, I don't know in what context yet. I mean, you know, I, I, sales crash. Oh, I'm just trying to think about clients. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> Does that mean we have to give her the quiz question? Yes, give her the quiz question. <laughs> She's turning 12 chains around. <laughs> I know, we got her back. We got her back. Um, so the next, the quiz question is, I'm going to do this in an American accent, which gives you a clue. There is no easy button in sales. Prospecting is hard, emotionally draining work, and it's the price you have to pay to earn a high income. There is no easy button in sales. Prospecting is hard emotionally draining work and it's the price you have to pay for a high income mark hunter mark hunter <laughs> he might have copied 
but it was Jeb. It was Jeb. It was Jeb Lawrence. Oh, Jeb. oh. If, you, if you actually, if you Google Jeb quotes, that's the one that comes up first. So there we are. But it's too late for him to take you away from our band. So we're all okay. We're all okay. <laughs> You won't you won't get taken away from outbound <laughs> unless you don't turn in your presentation on time. Oh that's yeah. all I could say. Oh yeah, they're not already been taken care of. <laughs> Make sure you get it in on time or you will be eliminated. Absolutely. <laughs> Unreal. Okay. Gonna be good. It's going to be awesome. We can't wait to see you at Outbound. Susanna, do we have anything else? I don't have to answer any of we these. We haven't. I'm just very proud of you, Gina, that you didn't have any awkward moments not getting the Australian um, and English tones today. In the last episode, and I urged people to watch that last episode with Rachel, Gina, and Bernadette. It's awesome. Um, can I just say, um, don't lose, lose your sales clothes. Lose your sales clothes. Classic, classic moments. Um, and uh, you do got to go back and listen to that. Yeah. It was so funny. I'm like, oh, close the deal. I thought you meant your clothes. <laughs> hey, I um, I get lost in translation a lot with uh, Susanna, so she she takes it out of me all the time. So I was, I didn't have that for you today. Oh no, that's great. It's been fun. It's been super fun. Awesome. Well, if people want to uh, get a hold of you, connect with you, work with you, what are the best ways to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn, just go to LinkedIn, Bernadette McClelland. Um, and my my uh, speaker website, BernadetteMcClelland.com, if anybody is interested in uh, keynote speaking on story selling. Fantastic. You can also find her contact information in our show notes for this episode. Once again, thank you, Bernadette, for being with us. We can't wait to do Battle of the Oprahs at Outbound <laughs> with you. <laughs> Thanks, girls. Really appreciate it. Have an amazing day. And uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode brought to you by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco. I'm out of here. Susanna, final words. I'm out of here. Peace, y'all. Peace, y'all. Peace, <laughs> y'all.